today, so why not? This Wednesday. Or this Wednesday, yeah, this <laughs> Wednesday. Sorry, I'm not remembering. I don't remember things. And so we figured that we will uh, write a sermon together and see how well it goes. Why it went not? better than it did the first time. That That's is good. True. That was a couple years ago. Um, as we think ahead to our um, wedding anniversary on Wednesday, I do have to tell a story. And I was thinking during worship, I was like, I need, I need to say something about remembering because today we're talking about remembering and remembrance and and things like that and uh, Mike has come to my aid and my rescue many times uh, throughout our <laughs> throughout our relationship and we've known each other for almost see I don't remember 18 it's been 18 years so we've been married we'll be married 15 years on Wednesday anyways um, so one of the very first times not very first times I moved down to um, Uniontown area to attend grad school, supposedly. Anyways, I moved to the Uniontown area to um, pursue a master's degree, and I was living with a, some family about 25 minutes from here. And um, one night I was driving home. I'd been at his house, and we I said goodbye or whatever and went home, and I got down to about five minutes from where I was living, and I got a flat tire. And it was raining. And I knew how to, I didn't, I did know how to change a flat tire because my dad taught me how to change a flat tire. So I did know how to change it. But it's dark, okay? So, and raining. Uh, and raining. And, ra and raining. And let's it's please that. A very sketchy area. So let's just preface the scene here, okay? There was no way I wanted to be outside doing this. So I called people I lived with to come and help, and they said no. I said, oh, okay, that's how we're going to roll, okay? And so I called Mike, and I was like bawling because. That's, he'll, he learned very quickly that I cried a lot. Anyways, um, so I called Mike and I said, I don't know what to do. It's raining. It's dark. And he's like, I'll come, I'll come down. Okay, so I'm just going to interject real quick because I didn't know this story was coming. It wasn't in the But night. I will say this, that it, it'd be previous. I have never changed a tire. Whatever. Just never did. Okay, go ahead. Continue. I was going <laughs> I was going to say he's grown a lot in 15 years in many ways, including changing tires and doing things very handy. But anyways, so he comes down in the car, and I call dad and mom because I'm all upset and crying. And I'm like, Mike's on his way, and I'm crying, whatever. So Mike gets there, and he tries to get the lug nuts off the tire. I knew the concept. <laughs> Sorry. And so I'm on the phone with my dad, and I'm like, Dad, you just won't come off. And Dad's like, well, you've got to put a little effort into it. And so I said to Mike, I said, Dad says, try harder. I don't know. And so, so Mike, Mike's, Mike's down there, and he steps on the, what is that thing called? What's that? The wrench or whatever. And when he does, it kind of gives, well, so does he. It gives, and he smashes my rear view mirror off my car. Just completely breaks it. I mean, it's just like hanging out. Okay, so I, wait a minute. Wait, wait, I, was, I was not I as strong. Song. Thank you. I wasn't the strongest individual, okay? And I, I got bigger as I got older. But anyway, so as I was on the tire iron and trying to, you know, I'm, okay, I'm, it's raining. It's dark. I'm not going to lie. From where I'm from, I'm scared to death. Cause I'm like, but, you know, I got to be brave because I'm the guy, right? Scared to death. I stepped on this thing. I'm like, okay, I'm going to give it. Try to impress the girl, right? My hand was on the rear view side mirror. The yeah. It wasn't on the mirror. It slipped down the oh, side of the Oh, it car. was something. But it went whoosh. 
Oh, I just broke. So I broke I'm, I'm still on the phone with Dad, and Dad goes, well, that'll make a good serving illustration someday. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That's our serving illustration. That has really not a whole lot to do with what we're talking about. But Jeez. over the 15 years of being married to Mike, he has grown in many ways, and we have been through a whole lot. But we have uh, had the opportunity this morning to bring to you what we feel like the Lord has laid on our heart um, throughout this week, and um, we definitely started a different route, and it ended completely different. That's okay. So tomorrow, today, not tomorrow, that's not going to help. Today we're going to talk about remembering, and so what kind of things do we remember? Me, obviously, I don't remember very much, and I don't remember a lot. Um, my sister will remember things from our childhood, and I'll be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I just don't remember things. But we remember things like grocery lists. Half the time I forget it, but that's okay. Um, driving directions. I really stink at driving directions. And I'm really glad for our GPS, except when it wants to take us these random ways. And mom's tracking us and like, why are you guys going that direction? I'm like, I have no idea. Don't know where I'm going. Like, and then uh, phone numbers. Um, cell phones have kind of ruined that for us. We don't really remember phone numbers very much. Again, Tracy will rattle off the number from when we were child kids. And I was like, I have no idea what that is. And um, then different tasks. Sometimes we remember the tasks. Sometimes we step into a room and go, why are I in this room? Like, I don't even remember what I'm doing. Um, so we are tasked with remembering different things even throughout each and every day. And other things that we remember, obviously, is like birthdays. Um, some of you might be like, nope, I stink at remembering a birthday. Um, I know in my family, I learned really quick, it helps that um, a lot of my family's birthdays in February or August, so that kind of helps. And then there's some outliers in which we have to remember as well. Um, anniversaries. Okay, yep, I remember that my anniversary is on Wednesday. Yeah, and, and we got married on 11-22. It's really easy to remember. So uh, remembering your anniversary or remembering uh, an appointment, something that we have to do, whether it's a meeting or maybe it's a doctor's appointment. That's a thing we can remember. And also holidays. As we talk about this week, this week is... Thanksgiving, and, it's, and I know that I've talked to, to many people and they're like, wait a minute, Thanksgiving's this week? Yeah, it, it's, this, it's just because of, of when it falls, but there are things that we need to remember. Before we put up the next slide, um, it's according to McGill University, when referring to short-term memory, the average person can only remember a maximum of seven things at a time. The longer the list is, the more likely you are to Hence the reason I forget things at the grocery store, because it's usually longer than seven items. Um, according to some research, the more information it, that is repeated and used, the more likely it is to eventually end up as a long-term memory and to be retained. Unlike short-term memory, there is an unlimited amount of space for your long-term memory to hold. Short-term memory only has a small capacity to hold, but long-term memory has unlimited data, I guess, to, to be able to, re, to recall once it's long-term. So the next slide we're going to show you, don't put it up quite yet, is a memory test. So on it is going to be several different pictures. There is a timer. Thank you to my wonderful tech husband who knows how to do those things and put timers on. Just hope it works. And, and, uh, if it doesn't, he didn't do it. Um, you have 30 seconds to look at the pictures. You need to look at the pictures, just kind of retain whatever you can, and then there will be some questions to follow to see if you can recall what was in the picture. So go ahead and let's hope the timer works. No, don't take No. Time. Taking pictures Jeez. is cheating. No, memory. 
Some people's parents. <laughs> Does the timer work if you click it again? If you click the timer, maybe. I'm counting. It doesn't work. Thank you, Tracy. A long 15 seconds. All right. All right, question number one. What is written on the soda can in the picture? Cola. Cola. Let's see. You guys are good. Cola. They get harder, just warning you. Question two. What number is on the list of pictures? Man. That's not a number. <laughs> number nine, yes. Number nine. Question three. What color is the car in the picture? All right. Sorry if you're colorblind. I felt bad if people were colorblind. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Question. See, I don't remember what question we are. Four. How many candles are on the cake? <laughs> Didn't even see the cake. One candle. And the last question, question five. What direction is the plane flying? All right, to the right, yeah. All right, good job, you passed the memory test. <laughs> so, we've, Bethany and I have taken a couple of these just to test ourselves, and, and uh, it's just amazing all the things that you can do. But you know, you can also improve your memory. Um, and, and according to this doctor's share, he says, variety is great, and the more you do with your brain, uh, typically the better it is. And then here's some, a list of exercises that you guys can do. We can work out. If we work out, it increases our blood flow, all right, and it lowers our inflammation in the brain, which decreases our risk of a stroke. It's good to know. I know. Didn't know that before we did this. Um, how about if you play a sport? It requires quick thinking and problem solving. So playing a sport, if you socialize with others, it engages many areas of your brain at once. Or if you learn a new skill, it forces your brain to develop a new way and it engages it more. I like this one, number five, is do a puzzle. Yeah, so it says Sudoku is a great for logic. That's the frontal part of your brain. Crosswords increase your abilities to store vocabulary. And think of words on your verbal side. Um, jigsaw puzzles may be more of a visual spatial thing. We also have play an instrument. All right. Yeah. All right. So it helps recall things we did in the past. Or if we meditate, it reduces anxiety, which harms the brain. We can also stimulate your senses. This is probably my favorite one because it says you can make a pie. It engages sight, touch, smell, and taste. You can bring pies to that. that. That helps stimulate my mind as well, my memory, because I'm like, mm, okay, all right, focus. All right, we can also stimulate your, your senses, um, but you can also sleep. That's probably the one I do the best. Um, in fact, sleep helps improve your memory recall. It regulates your metabolism, and it reduces mental fatigue. They say if you get at least seven hours of high-quality shut-eye night after night, don't be surprised if you, if you don't do that. Don't be, don't be surprised if you experience some kind of brain fog. I know myself. If I don't sleep, 
Well, well, then I'm going to have some brain fog. But we know that there's different things that we remember, and there's things that we can work on to improve our memory. But sometimes improving it just doesn't really work. Sometimes we need to create reminders, right? So we can remember these important events, things in our life. See, I'm just looking for my phone. See, that, I need a reminder. That's, I use my phone a lot for reminders. We can put the reminders in our phone. We can put reminders on our calendar. We have a calendar on our fridge, and we put reminders on there. We can write it on our hand. Not that anyone ever does that. Um, I used to do it all the time, and when I was in school, kids would yell at me, why are you writing on your hand, Mr. Jones? So I won't forget it. We can also tie a string around your finger, okay? I won't do that because that will hurt. But I, the rubber band around your wrist, yes, I've done that. Or how about put stones in the form of an altar? Well, yeah, that's a little bit different. I don't know. I don't go around and seeing like a stack of stones as a reminder, but that is also, we know that throughout the time, throughout history, and in biblical times, that they actually made stones. They, they stacked stones into a pile to remember, to remember important events, to, to remember great things that happened in their lives. So what are some biblical times of remembrance? What are times within the Word of God that we can see that, that they remembered what was going on? Well, if we look here in Genesis 12, as we start off, Genesis 12, 5 through 7 says this. He, meaning Abram, took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all of their possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And then they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the, the great tree of Morah at Shechem. And then it continues going. It says, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So the Canaanites were there. But God took them through. And it says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Church, do we know that Abraham made an altar to remember the things to come? At this time, he did not have any descendants. He had his family, he had some people that he acquired, but he did not have his own offspring. But God will have, God had him build this altar to remember the things that were going to come. And we're going to keep looking here in Genesis 28. In Genesis 28, we find the story of, um, of Jacob. And the story goes like this. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived to a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against. It's a very soft pillow. A stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from earth to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to west and to the east. 
to the north and to the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What more? I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from the sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against, and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it and named the place Bethel, which means house of God, although it was previously known or called Luz. So in, Jake, in, Josh, I almost said Jacob. in Genesis 28, we see that Jacob had an account with God. It wasn't an account like Abraham had. It was a very different account. It was an account that came through his dreams. And I have never been one to really prefer dreams, to be very honest with you. But I know there are some that really feel that the Lord speaks through dreams. And I have come to realize that the Lord speaks to me through my dreams. And there are things this week that I have dreamt that I'm like, ah, I don't have a clue what this means, but it must mean something to someone because of the way it was dreamt. So Jacob in his dream dreamed of the Lord and his angels, and he had this very close connection with God in the midst of this. And when he woke up, he said, well, I wasn't even aware that God was here. And because it made such an impact in his life, he decided to make a memorial out of the stone in which he used for a pillow to remember the encounter that he had with God in that place. And he called it Bethel, which means the house of God. So in his, he, at this time, Jacob made a memorial stone to remember that he had special connection with God at this time. Abraham did it to remember things that were coming and be reminded of that. Jacob wanted to make memorial for things that he had dreamt and things that were connected to him and the way God spoke to him at that place and at that time. So we also can see where there's other places within the word of God where we can, we, we can see how God had special interactions and people were engaged with God. In Exodus 24, it says this, then the Lord said to Moses, come up to the Lord you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, you are to worship at a distance. But Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. He will, or we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Moses built an altar at the foot of Mount Sinai to remember meeting God in a special way. Once again, another place where we see in the Word of God this true, this history book that is full of so much great information, but we can see that another place where God met someone. He met him, he met Moses in a special way. 
the last Old Testament example, which if you go through the Old Testament, New Testament, the entire, you know, study the remembrance stones or the altars that were built, there, I mean, there's tons of examples. We would have been here until, you know, next Sunday to try to discuss all the things, all the times that people built a memorial or an altar because of something God had done in their lives. It's, it's actually an incredible, you know, if you go through and look at a lot of them, it's, it's pretty incredible. The last story in the Old Testament that we want to talk about is in Joshua 4. But before we get to Joshua 4, I didn't put it on here, but we need to jump back to Joshua 3. So what's going on is we have Joshua and the Israelites. I'll just read it. Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River, where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelites Offer, excuse me, Israelite officers were through, went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you, stay about a half a mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. So what the picture that's being painted here is we have the Israelites. Joshua is now in leadership of this new generation of Israelites, and they are getting ready to cross the Jordan River. And the ark of the covenant and the priests are going to go before them, but one rule is you have to stay about a half a mile behind the ark of the covenant. So here's the rules. In the morning, oh sorry, then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Which, I really like that verse, because he's, he's preparing, he already knows the Lord is going to work. He, he doesn't know the exact situation yet, but he says, prepare yourself, because the Lord is going to do wonders among you. In the early morning, Joshua said to the priests, lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. The Lord told Joshua, today I will begin to make a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So Joshua told the Israelites, come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites ahead of you. Look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from one from each tribe. The priests will carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of the water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as their feet, the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water of the river's edge, the water above the point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near um, Zarathon. And the water below the point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town. So then chapter 4 goes into that they chose 
one representation from each tribe to get a stone from the middle of the Jordan River to come and build an altar as a memorial of this. But I need to paint a little picture because as a kid, you know, we've often talked about flannel graph. You know, as a kid, you, you hear these stories and you hear, oh, you know, Moses part of the Red Sea. Oh, the, Red sea, the Jordan River parted. Oh, this is all fun. You know, this is great. Everything happened. Listen here, okay? So the Jordan River is not just like a little crick that I used to wade in when I was a kid. The Jordan River was about 20 miles long and about two miles wide, and at deepest points, it was 120 feet high. And so it was, it was during harvest season, so if you know anything about history, banks of rivers would overflow when it was harvest season, and then they would use that for irrigation for the fields and things like that. So at flood stage, this is the side of the Jordan River. And I don't know if I was just naive or my, my inner child came out to think, but there was two, over two and a half million Israelites at this time. That's a lot of people. And so when the priest entered the Jordan River and it dammed up on one side at a town called Adam and it was dry land, some researchers say from the amount of distance from where it dammed and from where it was dry, if you could walk 100 people across at the same time, it would take over four days to cross the Jordan River because of how many people were in the groups of the Israelites at this time. They were saying that in the Bible it says there's about 600,000 fighting men in the Israelite tribe. That's not counting men, women, children. I'm sorry counting men, is not counting the women, the children, and the elderly. That's also not counting the cattle and the livestock that they would have probably had with them at some point in time. So when you think of how the Jordan River miracle happened, it wasn't like an instantaneous, oh, we crossed over the river, yay, have victory. No, heck, the first person came over, he had four days of dinners before the last people crossed. I mean, there, it, it was a long process. It took dedication. It took diligence. It took the, the ability to depend on what God had called them to do. So after it was all said and done, they sent in the men representing each tribe to take a stone out of the river and make this altar. And in the, um, in the verse it says, let me just read it then. It says, so, jo so Joshua the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites for one from each tribe and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, so not a little pebble, okay, um, according to the number of your tribe of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you in the future. When your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them of the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it, cro when it crossed the Jordan, the rivers, the, I'm sorry, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. The Israelites were instructed to gather 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan after crossing the dry land into Jericho. So they were, they were to take these stones not only for their own memorial, not so they just remembered themselves, they were asked to do this because they were called to help their children remember what God had done in this place. 
So they were dedicated, diligent, and determined to do as God called them, but then they were called to build a memorial because they needed to be reminded, but they also needed to remind the next generation of God's faithfulness. So where does that leave us? We're not, um, we're not in the Old Testament. We're not under, we're not under the, the law um, that the people of the Old Testament were a part of. So where does that leave us? Why stones? Why did they use stones? They use stones because stones are forever. They last a really long time. We, uh, we had our homeowner's insurance policy um, redone, and they said if we wanted to rebuild our house with brick, it would cost X amount of dollars. I'll tell you, I'm not going to build my house for that amount of dollars if it gets destroyed, but it's because stone is so pricey. Stone is worth it because it lasts. I know brick isn't, it's made out of a mortar and stones, but it, they made memorials out of stones because they were things that last regardless of the circumstances. It says, because it's so easy to distract, be distracted, worn out, or dull hearing, unbelieving, we need to remember what God has done in our lives or we'll forget it. So in 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5, it says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we as believers in Jesus Christ, we have now become the living stones. We are the living stones of the church that Jesus promised to build, according to 1 Peter. As living stones, we have new life in Christ. And we are going, and Mike's going to talk about a little bit, we're going to talk about communion here soon. But we are now commissioned with the thought that we are living stones. We are the ones carrying the memorial of what God has done for us in the past. And because God has given us, through Jesus, new life, through his death, his resurrection, on the cross, in his resurrection from the grave, and we come to him as sinners, receiving his grace for salvation, we now have new life. And we're now are commissioned with the term of being living stones. As living stones, we are connected in one body, in the body of Christ. Our Lord is the foundation stone. He is alive, and he will never crumble. He will support us eternally, and Peter goes on to describe the functions of the living stones is to declare praises. Our function as a living stone, as a, as a memorial as a, of God, is to declare praises of the things that he has done in our lives. We no longer need the physical altar. Just like we don't need the physical altar to sacrifice an animal on our behalf for the sins that we have committed, we no longer need an altar to build those memorials that God has done in our life. Do we need reminders sometimes? Yes. Things in this life get hard. The 15 years that we've walked, I wish it was all bed of roses and, and daisies and unicorns skipping through a field. It's not been. So we need those things in our lives that we do have to remember how God was faithful in parting the seas. He was faithful in his promises. He was faithful in taking care of us when things look like Wow, they're dark and gloomy. We do know those. But we are now the altars. We are now the representatives of the memorial and the monument that God has established for us. Our job description now is the speaker of praise and the declarer of truth. Amen. 
Like Jesus, Christians are living. We once were dead spiritually, but we have been made alive by God's grace through our faith in Christ. Under the Old Testament law, of course, the people would come to the temple where the priests would represent them to God. Now Peter writes, God's people are the God's people in Christ are the temple. We are also the priests. There are no longer any barriers between. And I don't know if you realize that. I don't know where you are in your salvation walk or your walk with Christ, but the realization that all the Old Testament stories that we just talked about, they had to walk a sacrificial system to ask for forgiveness and repentance of the sins in which they committed by the death of an animal that was pure and blameless. When Christ came to earth as a baby, he was born of a virgin, he was raised on earth, and when he came to serve his ministry and then died on the cross for our sins, something physically happened in the temple that we could never have done ourselves. The place between the holy and the holy of holies, there was a giant curtain, and I'm sure many of us have heard, but the curtain was split. It was torn into two because we no longer need that representation for us at the feet of Jesus. We now have direct access to God because Christ paved that way. He gave us freedom. He gave us redemption, and there's no condemnation anymore. If you have Christ as your Savior, it doesn't matter what has happened in your life, and I'm not trying to be insensitive because I can talk with you, and I understand things in our life are not good, but ultimately, Christ paid the way. We no longer will experience death. We will experience eternal life in him. So this life that we're living here is going to have problems because we're promised that. It's not our final home. And many of us know that who have especially lost loved ones who realize that their, their salvation was secure in Christ and we will see them again. And our, our home is in the presence of Jesus. And so our, our jobs now on earth are to be that memorial and to carry that praise, if for nothing else, praise Jesus for the salvation that he provided. We might have everything broken in front of us, and we might have awful things going on, and I'm sorry if that's you this morning. I am sorry that you're, if you're walking through a road that stinks. But if you have salvation in Jesus, that's a memorial right there. That's the greatest memorial we can celebrate. If that's the only thing I can celebrate today, so be it. That's what we need to celebrate. So as uh, Bethany was even talking, thinking that we are the living stones. In kids group, we have a song. We tried to do it the other day, and I, we, forgot the, we forgot the motions because we haven't done it, but ain't no rock. I, I, I can see, I, I can feel it. I feel somebody. Ain't no rock going to do what? Going to cry in my place. Because as long as I'm alive, come on now, his holy name. I'm going to glorify his holy name. The, we know that we are the living stones because I don't want some rocks crying out in my place. So we are the living stones. We have everything that God has given us. We have more than enough to be able to cry out, to shout out our praises. So what does this all mean? As Bethany and I were working and, and, and talking and brainstorming, I will say, making up, doing a message with somebody else is very difficult. I love my wife. 15 years, I love my wife. But just like sometimes being by yourself is a lot different than doing life with somebody else. But I will say, 
as we have come together, God has just put on our hearts. So what does this all mean? What else are we supposed to remember? We are supposed to remember him. We're supposed to remember his sacrifice. Not just his sacrifice, but his life. So we're going to look at this. It says the Eucharist. I'm going through and talking about different things as I'm researching and studying. And it says the Eucharist, which I went to a Catholic school growing up. They talked about the Eucharist a lot. I had no idea what they were talking about. It was just like a big piece of communion. and I had no idea what that wafer was. But they talked about the Eucharist. And the Eucharist is the Thanksgiving. Perfect time. One name for the Lord's Supper, meaning a time to give thanks. And I'm not going to read all of it, but in Matthew 26, we can go through and we can, and we can read and we can see all that Jesus did. And it says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it. All of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I can't imagine what happened at that first communion. And sometimes I think we look at it as, as, as a communion is something that we just do when we're gathered at the, as the church. But communion is so much more. I was looking up the Greek, it says koino, or koinonia. It's of sharing in the realization of the effects of the blood, i.e. the death of Christ and the body of Christ as set forth by the emblems in the Lord's Supper. This is not just something that we need to do on a Sunday morning, whether it's the first, the fourth, the second, the third, or any time or every single Sunday. It is so much more. Acts 2.42 says this, and I know that we know this. We've, we've talked about this. You've read this as well. And it says, and, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done throughout, through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. It continues and says this, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple, together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. It wasn't just what happened on a Sunday morning. Church, it wasn't just happened when you came into the walls. It was that people were coming together, and they were breaking bread, and they were having wine to remember what? Not just to have a good time, but they were remembering everything that Jesus did for their lives. We have this opportunity to break bread, and I want to encourage you. We are going to be breaking bread together here today, but I want you to think of it. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. When we have time of thanks, and we're going to spend time together on Thanksgiving, you're spending time with your family, spending time with your friends. Yes, we can all, and we can write, and we can say what we're thankful for. We can write it, we can talk about it, we can say all these things we're thankful for. But it's more than just one day out of the 365 out of a year. We can be giving thanks. We should be giving thanks. 
we can be taking the time, even with our kids and our family, or, or our husband or our wife, or, or spending that time and saying, wow, what am I thankful for? Am I remembering that today, am I remembering today that Jesus died for my sins? Am I remembering that today that that cross couldn't hold him? Am I remembering today that that tomb is empty? Am I remembering today that my Savior, he's a risen Savior? Are we spending this time? I, I, we, I know that we do this and we do communion and we don't do anything traditional, I feel like. But, you know, it's, and, it's, and, and it shouldn't be a tradition. It should be time that's spent with our family, with our friends. Our, our, and, and we can talk about this world and everything that's going on in this world. But realizing that Jesus is using us as the light to our world, that we're supposed to be having communion with our friends. We're supposed to be having communion with our family and telling them about, hey, can I tell you about what Jesus did for me? So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to have communion. We have bread. It's been broken. Okay? We have, we have the cup. All right? And we're going to have Pastor Ed and Cheryl and... and Joe and Missy Cole, they're going to come and they're going to help distribute this. Now, what you'll see too is as this is going on, um, as you see, as this is going on, you'll see that there's going to be some slides up. See, I was a teacher. Sometimes it's nice to be able to do the homework before you leave. I know the homework. But this, this, we want to start planting the seed inside of like, this is what God's going to do. All right? So we're going to give the communion. We're going to pray. I'm going to take the tops off, so that's one less thing. But anyway, I'm going to pray and just, just hold on. Just hold on so we, we can do this all together. So let's pray. God, thanks. Thank you for this day. Thank you that you have set up a time that we can remember all that you have done. So God, as, as we are preparing our hearts and preparing our minds to take this communion, yeah, it's a piece of bread, and yep, it's some juice, and, and, but God, it is so much more. It's a time that we can remember all that you have done. 